Welcome to Bar of the Conference. I'm your host, Derek Scott III. In today's interview, I get to speak with Laura Bukowski. Laura is a Michigan native who was raised in a United Methodist congregation that valued the questions we often ask on the faith journey. She is a layperson, a general conference delegate, and has served in multiple areas in the Michigan Annual Conference, including on conference staff for the last 11 years. Laura understands the important role of the laity in the life of the church. And she also sees the gap that is often experienced between the local church and the conference. In this heartfelt episode, she speaks of the courage it takes to do the work to be the church that embraces all people. As she shares her journey, I think it will resonate with all of us, but especially the lay folks in the audience. Ultimately, she provides some insights into what I believe is the future of the UMC. So grab that notebook, get that choice beverage, and let's settle in for this episode with Laura Wachowski. Laura Wachowski, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Derek. How are you? I'm so good. And um, partly good because I get to be with you um, in this space. Really grateful that you joined me on this podcast. We met, uh, actually, I think you emailed me because mm-hmm. uh, you invited me to come up to the Michigan Annual Conference to be a part. Um, well, I guess that the first one I did was the... Um, a virtual annual conference, yeah. Yeah. but I still got to hang out with y'all in person yeah. because of some glitches in the technology. So I'd st- I did get to come up and hang out. And then you invited me back again the following year mm-hmm. uh, to be with y'all in person. Y'all are some of the best United, Met- as far as I'm concerned. I know I'm going to upset somebody. It's like, I thought you said we were the best. Like, yeah, I probably did, but I really meant Michigan. Like Michigan United Methodist, y'all. Mm-hmm. Y'all are hospitable. Like, it's pretty cool. Yeah. You put the H. You put the H in it. Um, <laughs> That's right. Laura, I'm just really grateful for you for your ministry um, as a fellow lay leader in the in, in the United Methodist Church. Um, mm-hmm. and someone who I just see you as a person who really is helping not just define the role of laity, um, but really carve out and protect the space Mm -hmm. so that laity continue to speak Mm -hmm. into the life of our church uh, all the way through our system. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm really grateful to you for that. Uh, And we'll get into some of that. So for those who need to know, this is, this is an episode about laity. Like this is, this is straight up an episode, but we'll see. We'll see. Cause you can take me all on all kinds of roads. We're going there. But my intention is to really talk a lot about, the role of laity mm-hmm. in, in, in the church. But mm-hmm. I'd love to know how you became a Christian and a United Methodist Christian at that. God, God, God's provenient grace in your life that brought you into mm-hmm. the faith. 
Yeah. So I recently um, came to the realization that I, I think I'm a fourth generation Methodist, uh, which is just wild for me to think about, because that also means that my son is a fifth generation Methodist, which feels even crazier to me. Come on. Yeah, I know. It's In wild. the family. That's awesome. <laughs> Right. And honestly, it explains so much about me. Like, that's really all you need to know, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I uh, I essentially, you know, was basically born into church. Like, I didn't know anything different. Um, my parents, when I was born, were attending um, a relatively small church in the Grand Rapids area. We all still go to that church today. When I left the area for a while and then we, uh, my husband and I moved back to the area, I was like, I, I, I just, I have to go back to this church. Like I can't, it just keeps calling me back there. Right. Um, but I was baptized there, confirmed there. I was in the kids choir. I was in the bell choir. I was the president of our youth group. Right. Like I did all those things as a youth in my church that you could possibly do. <laughs> um, it was never a question of like, if we're going to church, it was just like, okay, it's Sunday. We're going to church. It's Christmas Eve. We're going like, it didn't, it didn't matter. And I don't remember. I, so I have two older brothers who are significantly older than I am. And I don't remember any of us like really complaining about it. It was just part of who we were and what we did. Um, memorized all those Bible verses that, you know, you're supposed to memorize as a kid, all those things. Um, and I think the best part about my experience growing up in that particular church, um, it's a real uh, question asking church. Like if you don't understand something or if, if you're really like, ah, that doesn't, that do, is that really true? Right? Like you can ask all those questions. Hmm. Um, I don't know another, another way to like be a part of a church other than be, be able to ask those questions. Right. 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 And as I got older, I realized that that was very unusual because <laughs> I just kind of took it for granted when I was like in high school, I, I just took it for granted. I thought that's what people did in church. I thought mm. they asked those questions about those wild scriptures, right. That you're just like, I don't even understand how this could be a thing. Um, but it was really like cultivated in us. It was just allowed no matter what, a uh, new pastor came to our church, the appointment system, it was the same, which was really great. Um, so I just didn't know, I didn't know anything different. That's just the way it was. Wow. Yeah. I'd love to know, well, before I go there, I, I really appreciate that that's your perspective of how church was and, and maybe so both say should be um, because I think it definitely shapes mm -hmm. how then you as, as an individual, but also as a lay person, then engage this mm -hmm. understanding, this ex ex expectation that questions are a part of the journey mm -hmm. and not a sign mm -hmm. that something's wrong with the journey. Right. Right. Um, and I, it's amazing how, when, that is a part of your faith development mm -hmm. 
that we welcome those questions because that means something's happening. Right. It, it means yeah. that there's engagement. I'm actually right. reading the text. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not just not just letting go in one ear and out the other, or just mm-hmm. memorizing it by rote. But I'm really mm-hmm. taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's a way to have that conversation with clergy, but I think there's a unique way that that conversation arrives when it comes the comes to laity. Um, so I'm curious, it, I, and, and I'll ask the question in this way. I'd love to hear about your call to ministry, which is usually, again, a question that gets asked of our clergy multiple times as they're going through uh, you know, the process of candidacy within our denomination. It's not a question that often gets asked of the laity. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear a little bit of your story around your call to ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's so, it's so interesting when I, like, I understand that question now, but as I was going through that as like high schooler, college age, young adult, I, w- I would have been like, I don't, what call? Like, I don't know what you mean. Right. Cause like, it's, it's just, it, it just feels different. And now I get it. Um, So it's helpful for me to look back and kind of see all of the things that led me there. Mm -hmm. And I always feel like I find myself in places that um, I'm asked to do things where I'm like, I really like you want me to do that. I don't understand why you're asking me to do that. (laughs) And that's just been like over my whole life. That's always happened to me. Right. Um, I had incredible youth group leaders and my pastor at the time, um, middle school through high school. And they really um, kind of poured into me in a way that I hadn't experienced before, um, where I felt like what I said mattered, what I thought mattered, um, the questions I was asking mattered, right? Where like, in some other instances, yeah, people would just kind of get annoyed, right? Mm-hmm. They'd just be like, oh my gosh, it's just the way it is, okay? Like, it's just the way it is. And I had those three particular people who never made me feel that way. And so that was kind of the beginning of that journey. Then from seventh grade until I graduated high school, I was a part of um, a United Methodist camp called Christian Athletic Camp. And it was a different kind of church summer camp than what you kind of think about when you think about summer camp. Um, we did it in a, like a joint effort with the Indiana conference, which as I look back at that, I think it's just kind of funny to me, <laughs> um, but, but it worked. And uh, it was held in a high school instead of like in a traditional camp setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we were all split up by grade and by gender and we all slept in classrooms, like on cots, like it was just wild. Like it's, wow. it, it was fascinating. And so all day we um, we would have like three like uh, sports activities that we would do all day. You know, we'd have a meal. We would sing after lunch like you typically do at a church camp. And then in the evenings, we would have um, a different kind of worship experience each night. And then we would have small group time at the end of the day. And I, that small group time meant more to me than I ever knew it could. The conversations we had during those um, just really impacted me 
um, in that young age. And like now that I think about it, there were there were people a part of this that were like all over the theological spectrum, right? We all did not all think the same. Like I heard all kinds of stuff that I would mm -hmm. never have heard at my own local church. Yeah. And they were from kids that were my age, right? It was just mm -hmm. like, it was just really profound. Um, I, I owe a lot to my faith journey to Christian athletic camp because it was, um, it was just a really, really great experience. And so that kind of like, um, made me, made me think like, oh, maybe I could do something at some point in, in, the, in the church. Like, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know, like, I, I knew I, at that point I wasn't called into ordination. I still am very clear. I don't have that calling. Um, people ask me that all the time. I think people have finally stopped asking me that because because they've known me long enough that they're I probably going to keep asking, Laura. They're going to keep I asking. I know, I know, I yeah. And so at the time, like I didn't know what that meant. I was like, I I know I want to do something, but I have no idea what that means or what it's going to be. I just know that, um, I know it'll stay with me, and I just need to kind of work through it. So then, you know, I go to college. Um, I went to Albion College my freshman year, which is a United Methodist College in Michigan. Uh, did not have a great experience, um, which I, I feel sort of bad about saying because it's a United Methodist College, but I didn't. I had a series of things happen that just I, I just couldn't stay there. So yeah. I transferred out of Albion. Um, ended up at the University of Memphis, which was really a great experience for me as a young white woman from West Michigan, <laughs> like, <laughs> a pretty, like, you know, not very diverse community, kind of a conservative community, right? Like mm -hmm. very different. So then I end up in Memphis, which is mm. just the exact opposite of the world I came from. Um, and it was great. It was great. Like I had a great experience there. I stayed there a couple years after I graduated. At that point was the moment where I I didn't. Um, it's not that I totally like left the church. It just wasn't a priority for me at that time in my life. And I was one that like I would go to church on Easter. I would go to church on Christmas, right? Like I was a college student, so I mm -hmm. I knew that that was important um, because that's how I was that's how I was brought up. So I knew I had to keep doing that. But I didn't do I I didn't do anything else outside of that. Um, so then like this kind of gets into like my whole experience as a lay person, um, after college. Mm -hmm. So I moved back from Memphis, um, under really, uh, sort of heartbreaking circumstances. Um, didn't have a job when I moved back, didn't have a place to live when I moved back, moved in with my parents, um, all the things like it was kind of a mess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I still, I, I had my pastor from when I grew up who um, was the conference secretary. So after I graduated high school, every summer when I would come home for the summer, he would hire me to assist him in conference secretary work. Oh, cool. Right. Like, yeah. so I, so I helped put together the journal. Like I would go to annual conference and just kind of mm. be behind the scenes. Right. Like doing all this background stuff. Um, it was, it was great. It was a great summer job. I 
loved it. Um, it was very different from like what my all my friends were doing. It was really hard to explain to them what I was doing for my summer job. So um, after I moved back, um, I kind of reconnected with that, not full time, but more than just the summer. And so that kept me as like an active lay person in a very unusual kind of way because it was at like a conference level. Yeah. So that was pretty wild. That was really wild. So then um, I'm like 26 or 27-ish, somewhere around that age. And um, our conference secretary, who was who was not the one I was working with, there was one in between us. Um, she her term was up. She was, you know, moving on. And they asked me to be conference secretary. Laura, I didn't know you were conference secretary. Right? I was like 26 or 27 years old. <laughs> wow. I'm pretty sure I was like the youngest conference secretary. I don't know about ever, but at least in Michigan, <laughs> it was wild. Well, so wild. I, I want to I want to just slide back just a little bit because I think there's um, I'll speak for me. One of the things that I have loved about being involved at the annual conference level of our church is this sense that the, the, the evangelistic work is taking place at the local church. The discipleship work is taking place at the local church. But there for some of us is this fascination and, and I'll even say calling towards how we put all the pieces together, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. we nurture the connection that mm-hmm. is unique to yeah. our denomination. And it does feel like some really cool stuff happens at the conference level. Yeah. And so to be a lay person that, mm-hmm. and I remember, I remember this, to be a lay person seeing those mm-hmm. pieces mm-hmm. was just like, Jesus, if you need one more person, I, I'll put my hand up. <laughs> and so I wonder. Yeah. The, the ways that you were just assisting that pastor who was conference mm-hmm. secretary that brought you on every summer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine there are probably some parts that's like, okay, I got to do this because this is like what's been asked of me and I'm going to do it because it was asked of me. But I, I imagine there were other parts that's like, I'm pinching myself because I get to see this. I get <laughs> to be in the room where these <laughs> things happen. Am I, am I right? Like, Yeah. And really, I, I think it was more that than you know, okay, I have to do this because it's what as like, I think the whole experience was like, this is great. This is great. Like, I love all this. Like, you know, I, I learned weird things about the discipline that I, I don't think I ever would have really picked up on had I not had that experience. Like Mm -hmm. I just started gaining all of this, um, real deep structural United Methodist knowledge Mm-hmm. That as I went along, I was like, what am I going to do with this information? <laughs> like, <laughs> as, as I keep, and then I became conference secretary and I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do with this information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, here I am 26, 27 during annual conference, like at the front table, sitting next to the bishop and the clergy assistant to the bishop. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how I got there. I have no idea like why I'm there. It was one of those things where I was like, are you sure? Like, are you mm-hmm. sure? Like, you want me to do this? Like, okay, I guess I'll try. Like, 
Let's see what happens. Now, had you re-engaged in a local church at this point, or were you still sort of estranged? Yeah. So I because I had um because I had moved back to Michigan at that point, um, I had started going back to my local church that I grew up in that I'm still in today. Yeah. Yep. I'd been back there, you know, very active, doing all the things like yeah, awesome. like nothing had like nothing had changed. Which which can it can definitely feel that way when uh yeah. you go away for a few years and come yeah. back like still the same church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's so funny, like it even today at that church, there are several groups of people that still see me as like that 10-year-old mm-hmm. <laughs> and still talk mm-hmm. to me as that 10-year-old and still like they try real hard to understand I'm like a full grown adult with a child. And, but I, I know, I know what's behind there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can hard. relate. I can that's relate. Yeah. 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 So what was that like being conference secretary and how did that take you further into your ministry? Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually enjoyed it. Um, it was, it was challenging for me because I am not, I much prefer to be behind the scenes. Like I really, I really much prefer to be in that place. Same. So it really challenged me because I couldn't, I couldn't do that. <laughs> like I really was in the front. Mm. Um, but I found it to be really rewarding and, you know, attending the meetings I had to attend, um, at, was was all a really great experience. I met a lot of people that I'm not sure I would have met otherwise, uh, made a lot of really great connections. And that's really what really started getting me connected to um, like the, the, the actual people in the conference, right? Like meeting all the pastors and clergy and meeting all the lay people, um, because before I was so much behind the scenes, the only people I really interacted with were, you know, the folks that needed something from the conference secretary. But once I was in that position, um, I, 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 my world was opened of like, oh, this is what it means to be connectional. This is what this looks like, hmm. right? This is what this looks like with all these people in this room together having these conversations, worshiping together. Um, At that time, it wasn't, you know, the tension we experienced today at annual conference. There were moments, you know, about some things, there always are, but for the most part, it it just, like, I fell in love with annual conference. I was like, this is great. Mm. Like, I want to do this for a long time. Wow. Yeah. And actually, I'd love to know, like, so sitting in the seat as conference secretary, Sitting next to the bishop, the assistant to the bishop. And I know our conference secretary is clergy here in Florida. What did you learn or what did you experience as a layperson in that space? Um, that's a good question. Um I learned that you 
you don't have to be clergy to do a lot of things in the church, <laughs> right? There's space for all of us. Say that again. Say it again. Yes. <laughs> you yes. don't have to be clergy to do things in the church. There's space mm -hmm. for all of us. Um, but I also learned, like, I think at that point, that's when I really understood the um, the dynamic and the partnership that can happen between clergy and lay. Hmm. Because if you don't have a lay person there, you're never going to see that partnership. Like you're never going to watch it happen. You're never going to experience it ha happening. But once it happens, at, like you can't go back. <laughs> right. Like that's that's how it felt for me. I was like, OK, I, I understand now how to. Um, how to uh, have my voice be heard as a lay person. Um, how to contribute because that, I mean, that's what I was there to do. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't mm -hmm. that the conference secretary is not meant to be silent, right? Like that's what I was there to do. And so um, I, I think I learned a lot about that particular piece in that time. And like, it also um, any intimidation factor I had of uh, district superintendents or bishops or, you know, conference staff even like, you know, there's always this level of intimidation. I think I'll like all that went away for me. I just didn't have it anymore because um, at a, at such a young age, I like I was there for that. So that that really helped me too, um, moving down the road of, of my lay ministry, I think. Yeah. So take us on that journey now from conference secretary mm -hmm. to conference staff, lay yep. leader development. Yeah. Um, so I, I, so at the time I was conference secretary, the, the last couple years of it, I had a secular job. I didn't work in the church. Um, I worked for a, a medical management billing company, like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> paid the bills. <laughs> important, important. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but then my last, I think it was my last year of being conference secretary, a position opened up at a local church, um, Trinity United Methodist Church in Grand Rapids for their administrative assistant. Their long-term administrative assistant was retiring. I knew the pastors. There was co-pastors at the time. I knew them. Um, from my conference secretary work, right? Like that was a connection I made. Uh, so I applied for it and got that job. So I, you know, worked for a local church, um, which I loved. That was a great job for me. It was, I was good at it. I'm very, very organized person. I, um, you know, can really like uh, simplify things for folks to where they under like all this craziness of the church. I'm, I'm one that can really help folks through that um to help them understand it i found that the majority of that work was people just showing up in the office and just needing to talk to somebody when the pastor wasn't there and so i was like okay <laughs> like, what do you want to talk about right like yeah. that that was a really fun that was a really fun job mm. i really really enjoyed working in the local church um by then, my term of conference secretary was up. So I worked at Trinity for, I, I think, four or five years. Um, 
ended up uh, moving to Traverse City. So I left my job at Trinity without having a job to go to. Um, towards the end of my job there, I, I, I got a little bored, right? I was doing the same things every day. I'm doing the bulletins every week. I'm answering the same questions. <laughs> like I was really good at it, but it, it had lost a little bit of that fulfillment for me because it just was like the same thing every day. Not all of us are here for the same thing every right. day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I was grateful for my time there, but I was ready to move on. And my husband had gotten a job in Traverse City. Um, he was trying to get out of retail for a long time. So when he took the opportunity to get out of that, we moved to Traverse City. So then I, um, I again, I, while we were in Traverse City, uh, had a baby. <laughs> so my most of my maternity leave was unemployment. Like I wasn't employed at all. Um, eventually again, got a job, uh, in the secular world just to keep me on a health insurance, pay the bills, all those things. Um, it was at that time that, uh, was general conference 2012. So I like, I had never really watched any of those general conferences before. I don't even mm -hmm. think they live streamed them. Right. Because yeah. they didn't have that capability yeah. Yeah. way back when. So I remember being at, again, the job I was at was pretty easy. I would usually finish my work and like not have anything else to do, but I was still getting paid. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, they just didn't have enough for me was all. So I'm I was trying to remember if I actually brought in my own computer or if I even used a company computer, I don't even know. But I remember watching General Conference 2012, like during mm -hmm. the day, during the work day. Mm -hmm. And like my, my husband thought I was crazy. He was like, what? Like, why are you, I don't, he was like, I don't even understand. Like, why are you watching this? So at that moment I was like, huh, I like, I think, I think I might be a church nerd. <laughs> like this is, this is diving a little bit deeper into just, you know, conference stuff. And I was just fascinated by it. I was fascinated by it. Mm. So then um, while we were in Traverse city, the position, um, of the administrative assistant to the DCM, the director of connectional ministries opened up. That person was moving on to a different job. Um, I knew if I could get a job in the conference office, that that would lead me to like the places I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. I just knew, I knew that that was how I needed to get there and I must say, I'm a really great administrative assistant. So I knew I could do the job. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That wasn't a problem for me. And at the same time, this is so fascinating. At the same time, um, the DCM had called me and asked me if I wanted to be on the conference leadership council, which I think at the time we called it the conference leadership team. I don't know. And I really wanted to do that. Like, I, I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And I was like, but I'm going to apply for this job, like, I feel like there's a little bit of a conflict of interest, right? So I don't, and he's like, yeah, you're right. If you're on the CLT, like you can't, you can't be the administrative assistant for the DCM. So and honestly, I was torn. I was like, I don't know what to do. Mm. Do I apply for this job that I really want? I also really want to like take this role on the conference mm -hmm. leadership team. Like I, I didn't know what to do. So finally I was like, you know what? this is really great. I need to do this. I really want to do this. Applied for the job. Had like, honestly, the longest interview I've ever had. <laughs> With like, 
10 people around the table. I walked and I knew all of them. I knew every single person around the table. And I was like, why are you all here? Like, this is crazy. Okay, I'm not going to lie. It sounds like you are a candidate for ministry coming for four. Right? The district committee or board of ordained ministry. So there is someone out there, some clergy person listening right yeah. now. Like, oh, I'm so glad it wasn't just us. Oh, that's, that's so true. I never thought about that. You're so right. You're so right. You're so right. Yeah. Um, so I ended up getting that job. So I worked uh, in the um, Connectional Ministries office in the West Michigan conference um, before we created our new conference. Um, loved that job. I did something different every day. My day never looked the same. Um, really enjoyed it. Enjoyed the people I was working with. Um, because of the knowledge I brought from being assistant conference secretary, conference secretary, administrative assistant of a local church, right? Like I I just have all of this United Methodist baggage that just goes with me like everywhere I go. Yeah. I found that to be really helpful working mm -hmm. for the DCM. Like there were things I just understood, you know, that I'm not sure everyone in that position would have would have been able to do that. Yeah. 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 So then we go start going through the process of becoming, um, creating a new conference and becoming the Michigan conference. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was a very complicated process. <laughs> uh, some things we did really well, some things we did not so well. Um, we ended up having a really large staff, which is the people who are on staff right now. Um and one of the things that they decided to create was this lay leadership development position. Mm -hmm. um, so I had many conversations with many people of like, here's here's what I think it should look like. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I think would be helpful after you know all of my experience in the local church. Um, and then they created a you know several other like new positions that we had never had before. Um, we all went through that interview process. I got hired for that um, in 2018, mm. I think it was. I think it was 2018. Mm. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of that progression of how I got to this position today. Yeah. Laura, I'm curious. Um, uh, sometimes, not always there is this distance between the what's happening on the ground in a local church and what's happening in the office at the conference level. But a nuance of that distance is the role of the local church administrator um, who's getting all these calls, um, who's hearing what the, the pastor mm -hmm. is saying and what mm -hmm. the local church folks are hearing mm -hmm. that distance. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, and so my question is, what was it like to be that person that lived there? Mm -hmm. And now you go work in the conference. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if there was, I don't know, similarities if there were, you know, dissonance, if there was 
oh my gosh, I know how this is going to play out on the ground and y'all, we need to, we need to pump the brakes. Like mm-hmm. how, what, <laughs> what was that like? Yeah. Um, two things come to mind. It gave me, it gave me a greater understanding of what is dealt with at the conference level and why it doesn't always translate to the local church level. I was like, oh, that's why, because they're dealing with this over here, which they have to deal with. Therefore, they can't necessarily think about some of these other things, right? And at the same time, the other thing that's really interesting about going from a local church level to a conference level, um, the people I interact with became different. So, um, you know, at a local church level, you're dealing with the whole congregation, whether they are in a leadership position, whether they're coming for worship, whether they're in a small group, right? Like you're, I'm talking to all those people. When you move to a conference level, you're really only interacting with the pastor of the church and like the folks in key lay leader positions. We we really lose at the conference level the people in the pew. Because mm. it's mm. it's and I understand why. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just it's just what it is. The reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the reality. And that's Honestly, that's what I really struggled with the most in my current job um, of like, I, I'm there for those local church lay leaders because they're the ones that need the most support so that they can support their congregation. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also really miss just the people in the pew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because those are the folks that I would, you know, talk to the most when I was in the local church that I just don't, I just don't get that connection with. So like anytime um, I'm invited to do a workshop in a local church. Um, I, I love it because that's that's when it's more than whatever the particular lay leader person is, whether it's an SPRC chair or church council chair or lay leader or whatever. That's when it's more. It's those folks and it's it's the people in the pew, which is mm-hmm. like really what what I love. So let, let me let me transition. Um, and I just love to hear like, what is the role of laity in our denomination from your mm-hmm. perspective? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the laity are the church. Yes, yes. I say that everywhere I go. Yep. Uh, my least favorite thing to hear is that, oh, I'm just a layperson. Mm. Um, no, <laughs> you are a layperson. Like there's no just there. You, Come you on. are a layperson. Come on. Um, And like I said before, there are so many things that laity can do in the church um, that that we don't need the pastor to do, right? There are are things that we need the pastor to do. We need that theological education. We need all of those things. I am not saying that there's not a place for pastors because there most definitely is. But there's, there's this whole bunch of other stuff that the pastor doesn't have to do those things like um and i and and we some churches um just rely too heavily on that they just kind of push everything off to the pastor which really breaks my heart um 
because it overworks the pastor. And then the laity don't have, they don't have the investment in their church. They're not having those conversations that they should be having in their church. Um, like all, all of those things. Um, I think that, I think that it's, it's also important for a lady to understand that it's not just the pastor's job to make disciples and to talk about the love of Jesus Christ. It's all of our jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Like no matter how uncomfortable it could be in like a, a, a conversation outside of church, there's ways to have that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be the very first time you meet somebody, right? Like um, my husband and I, so he also works for a United Methodist church. He's a community ministries director. So he's like a community person, always out in the community, always talking to people, right? Like that's like, he just loves that. And we have met many people over the years who um, we built a relationship with, we become friends with, we, we trickle in some of our church stories, right? Of like, oh, this, you know, this, we're doing this really cool thing at our church and, you know, it might be something you might be interested in. And then as we get to know those people a little bit more, they start to see what we're like and how we're talking about our church and how like it, we say the word Jesus, <laughs> right? Like even just saying the word Jesus. It's a beautiful name. It is a beautiful name. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And like those people are like, oh, hey, we're thinking about coming to your church. What time is it at? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's at 930. Here's like, blah, blah, you know, all the things. And then they come and it's great. And I, I think that um, there, there are some instances where we just expect our pastor to do all of that kind of work. And that mm -hmm. like, I, I'm not sure when our faith and um love of jesus became so personal i don't i don't know when that happened mm. but at some point along the way it just became one of those things where it was like well i that's too personal i i don't want to talk about you know my relationship with jesus or and mm. i i don't i don't know i i don't know when that happened i th think we're starting to get out of it yeah. At least in my experience and like mm -hmm. my people around me, I think we're starting to like understand that um, it's not a personal thing. Like it's for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Wow. Let's take a quick break, Laura. Okay. Laura. This podcast is called Bar of the Conference, and in many ways, it's about the stories and the perspectives that many of us uh, will take with us into our next general conference. Um, and all of the issues and narratives and even events that have brought us to where we are as the United Methodist Church. And I really think that the special session of 2019 was a pivotal moment for our church. Now, let's just be clear, though. There's some stuff that happened at 2012 mm -hmm. that at some point I've got to talk about. So I'll just name that for those who have heard me say this over and over again. 
I I I I know 2012 needs to be talked about. I know 2016 needs to be talked about. Does it? It doesn't. <laughs> I th I think we need to process some of that. Yes, but the you were in the room at the special session when the traditional plan passed, and I'm curious how that you know affected you personally. What it was like to then go back, go back home mm -hmm. with that news that everybody had already learned, but you're obviously coming back mm -hmm. to the conference because um, you were on conference staff at this point mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what, what? How did how how did you experience that special session? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was an alternate. So I was in the room, but I was up in like the, I don't know, balcony area, whatever we called it. I don't even remember. Um, but I like I so I also want to touch on just a tiny bit of 2016, because that was my first general conference experience being there. Again, I was an alternate. Um, I'd never seen anything like it before. Like mm. people, people had warned me, you know, that general conference is different than annual conference, but mm -hmm. I, you don't, you don't understand until you can watch it online all you want, but you don't understand until you're there. Right. And so I left 2016 be just being like, I, what just happened? <laughs> like how it was, that experience was really wild for me too. Mm. Um, I also, at, for 2016 and 2019, um, because I was an alternate, I did social media for the Michigan conference. And so I was tweeting the whole time. I was um, posting Facebook, all that kind of stuff. I used to be a really heavy tweeter during annual conferences. And so our communications director was like, hey, can you, you know, tweet from the visitors area, the alternate area? I'm like, yeah, sure. So the nice thing was it kept me engaged because yeah. honestly, it's hard to stay engaged as an alternate. It just, it really is because you're so mm. far removed. Um, it just is. So that, so yeah. tweeting both of these experiences um, really helped me um, stay engaged, understand a little more what was happening, that kind of thing. So that was really helpful. And that's just a good piece to know about my 2019 experience. Um, the other thing to know specifically about Michigan, so we, um, between 2016 and 2019, we had begun the process of creating a new conference. So we used to be the Detroit Conference and the West Michigan Conference. And in both 2016 and 2019, we still had two different delegations. Oh. Yeah, yeah. which was wild yeah <laughs> so when we um i think leading up to, I, i'm trying to remember if it was even leading up to 2016 it might have been um we started meeting together as the two delegations and it was uh, it, i'll just be honest it was awkward and weird and like we didn't really know, i mean yes we're in the same state but we didn't really know each other that well um we had a pretty um mix of theological perspectives on both delegations um 
and everything was fine and everything was good. And sometimes we would meet together and sometimes we would meet separately. But we experienced 2019 as one delegation, even though we were actually two delegations. So that was wild. My goodness. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and also, uh, West Michigan was small. We had one clergy and one lay. Mm. That's it. Yeah. We were small. And I think Detroit had like, I think they had three and three. I can't quite remember, but it was something like that. And in between um, 2016 and 2019, our uh, first clergy delegate, Lori Haller, was elected bishop. Right. Right. So we had her on our delegation in 2016, but then we didn't have her on our delegation in 2019. So like, mm -hmm. it just all these things, right? All these things were just, it, it, it just was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. Um, so I never made it to the floor of general conference. I was uh, in the balcony the whole time. Um, and it was a real, like, it, it was a real helpless feeling of like, you know, not to say that people on the floor didn't feel helpless, but being even further removed, it was just like, I'm watching this all happen. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> There's nothing any of us can do back here. Yeah. Right. It just, yeah. and that gave it, I think like just, just a little extra heartbreak yeah. being able to watch it and not being able to participate in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it, it was hard. It was, mm -hmm. it was hard when they, uh, like ordered the pieces of what they were going to address first. Right. And the traditional plan, mm -hmm. like, like that, at, at that point it was like, oh, okay. So that's where this is going. Mm. <laughs> and it's just like, it just never got any better from there. It never got any better from there. Um, mm. meanwhile, I had to keep tweeting on behalf of the Michigan conference, you know, very just <laughs> low key, <laughs> like, no, this emotion. is where we are. This Keep is what's chat. happening. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. So like, I, you know, I had to kind of experience some things and then be like, okay, I need to put this in like a factual statement and not put any flowers behind it, which was like, which is really difficult for me. That's not an easy thing for me to do. Um, I'm a pretty emotional person. I'm a two on the Enneagram. So I pull in everybody else's feelings and I feel them all right. So like it just, that was really hard. So I had to kind of keep going back and forth between those separate mindsets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, our delegation together, Detroit and West Michigan, um, we got together every morning. We prayed every morning. Um, the end of the day prayers felt a little different than the morning prayers, right? Yeah. Like after yeah. you've after you've gone through those days, um, yeah. I don't know. I I hadn't thought about my own particular experience of that in a long time, and so when I knew like we wanted to talk about this. I was like, Oh gosh, this is just like, I, I, I felt the heaviness. Like I yeah. felt the heaviness that I haven't felt in quite a while. And that was, oof, that was hard. 
many of our annual conferences responded mm -hmm. in specific ways to the passing of the traditional plan, mm -hmm. both when we all got home mm -hmm. and the conversations that we had, but also then when we gathered for annual conference in 2019. Mm -hmm. And it was at that annual conference in Michigan mm -hmm. that I was not at, just so that we got the calendar here. But it was that annual conference that you were yeah. elected to the delegation as the first laity. Mm -hmm. First member. ballot. Yeah. First ballot. On the, on the first, first ballot. ballot. First ballot. All right. Talk, talk to us yeah. about <laughs> all of that. Yeah. That, that was wild. Um, so we came back from St. Louis, um, us Michiganders, and our uh, MFSA groups. Um, our reconciling groups, we were like, all right, let's go. <laughs> like, we, we went to work. Uh, we very quickly um, put together what we called the Michigan Statement and took out a full page newspaper ad in all of our um, big cities in Michigan. Um, and it essentially was apologizing, like, this is not okay. We are sorry. Um, I can't remember everything that it said in that, but it was like a pretty significant paragraph with, and the newspaper ad, little teeny tiny print of all of the people from Michigan who signed it. Like it was an incredible amount of people. And, you know, at that point, when, when you can orchestrate something like that as this group, we were like, okay, like this is meaningful. This means that we need to keep this going. Um, meanwhile, there was, uh, sort of a strategy team that um, supported and um, helped to um, out people, one a deacon, one an elder, who were supposed to be commissioned in 2019. And so they, this other group of people who were, you know, clergy people, because they understand uh, I don't know how any of that stuff works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So all these clergy people got behind these two people to help them, support them, do what we needed to. And at 2019, both of those folks were commissioned. One was commissioned as an elder. One was commissioned as a deacon. Uh, that was huge. That was yeah. huge for us. Um, it was a really a very um, hopeful moment for us in who we are as Michigan. It said a mm. lot. Mm. So also, um, we had strategy meetings about, do we put out a slate of people, of, of delegates um, that MFSA support? Do we not put out a slate? Like, you know, how do we want to do that? Um, and we did. So I can't remember how many people were on that, uh, but there was quite a few of us. And, you know, if you want someone that is in this direction, vote for these people. <laughs> Meanwhile, our WCA group also did the same thing, <laughs> but we found there was at least two people on their slate that they did not ask <laughs> if they could be on their WCA slate. Mm. Yeah, mm. Little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which created, you know, created quite frankly, some controversy of like, I didn't, I mean, I was not one of those people, but one of the people who was on there said, Nobody asked me if I wanted my name on this, right? Mm -hmm. Like it just was 
a little. Ugh. Yeah. Um. So then the other thing to know about 2019 was, um, so we were all in the first year of our conference staff positions as the Michigan Conference. I was in my first year as the Associate Director of Lay Leadership Development. Um, we also had a uh, Director of Clergy Excellence, I think was her title at the time. And because we were a lay clergy, I don't know, duo kind of thing, we were both women, uh, Bishop Bard asked us to preach at the 2019 annual conference. So we were asked before general conference 2019. <laughs> so like when I said yes, which took me a little bit of time to be like, okay, I'll, yes, I can do this. Like I, I didn't say yes right away. Cause that just felt really overwhelming to me. I had preached like maybe three times before in my life. And now I'm being asked to preach at annual conference. I was like, I don't know. So same. It's the same. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, Derek. Okay. <laughs> I've done um, it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 So then, you know, general conference happens and I still have to preach it. And it's just like, what do you say? Like, what do you, what do you say? Um, and so that, that, that was a difficult process of writing that sermon. Um, I, I didn't want to get into like the weeds of all of this general conference stuff, right? I, I, I was really specific about the words that I used and the topics that I used. And it was about um, courage. The whole sermon was about courage, um, which I found to be very helpful. When I stood up and uh, started my sermon and introduced myself, I said my pronouns are uh, she, her, and that's the first time anybody had ever done that from the stage of annual conference. Uh, I got a lot of flack for that later on from people who didn't appreciate me using my pronouns, mm -hmm. but I also got a lot of support later on. And um, so that was really significant. Mm -hmm. So then right after... Um, we did a couple other things after that worship, but then we took our first vote of delegates. Um, I was elected on the first ballot, which was hmm. not, was not the plan. was not the plan. In <laughs> 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 my conversations with people in the strategy group, it was not the plan to elect me first. And so it, it was, it was quite a shock. It was quite, mm. it was quite a shock. Like I, it was, again, it was one of those things I found myself in this situation of like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Like, I've never been like a voting delegate to general conference and now you elect me first. Like, are you sure? Right. So, hmm. and then Kenitha gets elected next first clergy person. Um, you know, we become co-chairs of the delegation, uh, which was just a wonderful experience. I mean, you know, mm. Kenitha, of course, Bishop Kenitha, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. Bishop Kenitha is, of course, an incredible person. And it was really important to us to model the clergy lay partnership, right? Like that mm -hmm. is just really important um, in all that we do. And so that was really great. Um, we wanted new faces for our delegation um, and we got them. We had a lot of first timers, a lot of first timers. Wow. Wow. Uh, we elected the youngest and most diverse delegation that either conference had ever had, West Michigan, hmm. Detroit. Um, now we're 
we're we're not so young as we were in 2019. <laughs> all of us, all of We've us. We've all were. gotten a little older. Yeah. <laughs> like I was in a totally different decade when I was elected. <laughs> same, yeah. same. But what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the fallout from that wasn't easy either. I mean, it was yeah. uh, it was a it was a pretty um, hardcore strategy that we used to get those folks elected. And it meant that some folks who had been on the delegation for a long, long time were not elected. It meant that um, some folks with a different perspective that aligned more with the traditional plan were not elected. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that our, I don't, I don't like to use the term that we swept the delegation because that really wasn't the case. Um, I, we had I, we had some centrists on there who um, maybe at first leaned a little more towards the traditional plan, but like it wasn't the case where they, you know, were combative in any way, and they certainly um, wanted to move more inclusive. And so I, I don't like to say that we swept it because that just really uh, that that's just not the narrative that it was. But um, it made a significant impact, made a huge impact. Yeah. I- I'm wondering then, I mean, what was your sense of the, and this is where labels are only so helpful, mm-hmm. but can also be not helpful. But I'm, I'm curious, what was your sense of how the traditionalist in your conference sort of, you know, what did they come home with from the special session and then their experience and that, mm-hmm. not so much asking to speak for them, but what was your sort of sense of their experience, both coming home from a special session, but then having to sit through mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. getting any of their people elected um, mm-hmm. to the delegation? Yeah, and we also took some significant um, legislation votes that you know were very clearly one way. So, th- I mean, that was another part of not only the delegation elected, but some of those legislation pieces um, that we took too. I I think that um, I think this is a case for a lot of uh, again label um, a, a lot of progressive coalitions. We don't always organize real well. <laughs> You know, like we know what we want to do, but then we have a really hard time like making the strategy happen. Like, and that I feel like that was always the case in Michigan too. I it's feel not like just was, it's not just Michigan. Right. It's not just Michigan. <laughs> right. So like mm-hmm. we had we had a history a little bit of some of that strategy, but we just weren't super effective at it, right? And so in 2019, it was effective. And so I think it this is only speaking from my perspective. Um, I think it may have caught them off guard a little bit and that they weren't necessarily anticipating um, just the the intensity of our strategy. To what degree Do you think it was, I mean, obviously many of the lay members to annual conference are lay leaders, but some of them are folks in the pews. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And I just wonder sometimes, I, 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 you know, in Florida, we had, had a similar criticism. We had a similar story that mm-hmm. we went into that annual conference, very organized, mm-hmm. uh, elected centrist and progressives to the mm-hmm. delegation. Again, labels are somewhat helpful, but not always. There, mm-hmm. there were no traditionalists elected mm-hmm. on the clergy side, but also on the laity side. Mm-hmm. And I hear the I hear the complaint from my traditionalist friends and colleagues that mm-hmm. we ran the table here mm-hmm. in Florida. Mm-hmm. But how much of it was here or what the people Mm-hmm. who are representing the people in the pews, mm-hmm. this is where they are. Right, yeah. And and I'll just say, sometimes yeah. where they are is not the progressive centrist way of thinking. Sometimes where yeah. they are is not even the conference's right. line of thinking. Right. But to what degree was what happened right. on the ground in these annual conferences Right really particularly on the lay side mm-hmm. the laity the the folks in the pews their response mm-hmm. to the passing of the traditional plan right right yeah yeah i mean we don't pick those people who are lay members of annual conference right like the local churches do they pick their people to go to annual conference so yeah like i that's absolutely right mm. yeah yeah so a lot has happened um, since then. Uh, yeah. The protocol mm-hmm. uh, was was put out there in the beginning of 2020, then COVID postponed general conference once, then twice, mm-hmm. then a third time mm-hmm. the GMC launches seasons of disaffiliation now. Um, preparing for the next general conference, which is 2020's general conference that will take place in 2024. Mm-hmm. How, how are things in Michigan these days and as a result of all of those events? Yeah, I think, um, so uh, an important piece to know about Michigan, especially around the protocol, um, uh, you know, when the, fir- when the when the protocol first came about, uh, it needed an annual conference to put it forth to get to general conference. Um, Michigan was approached to be one of those conferences to do that. Uh, we had a special session in March of 2020. Mm. So I'll think about what's happening in March of 2020. Yeah. Um, we had a special session specifically for the protocol. So the delegation, me, <laughs> uh, I presented the protocol to because I was the co-chair at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I presented the protocol to the conference. Uh, we, you know, they had some debate about it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, they decided to support it, to send it through to general conference. Mm-hmm. So like, that was a, that was a big deal. Like that was wow. a big deal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Four days later, five days later, the country shut down. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have we, some emotions we, on that. <laughs> like we didn't, we didn't know right about like 
the real seriousness of COVID at that time. We didn't know. Like if what we know now, right, obviously that would have looked very different. But at the time it was, it was like March 6 or something. It was mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Um, we, we just didn't know. Like we had hand sanitizer everywhere, right? Nobody was wearing masks yet, but we had hand sanitizer. Um, we made it as short as we possibly could so that we weren't all together for a long time. And like, by the grace of God, as, as far as we know, n- nobody got COVID at that event. <laughs> and we all talk That's about bad. that now of like, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I was traveling. I was, I was, sure. yeah. I was on a multi-city. I think yeah. I was in either Dallas or in Nashville Yeah, when you all met. Yeah. for your special session and yeah. just going all over the place and like, what's this COVID thing? Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that was a significant mm. thing, you know, even aside from COVID um, that the Michigan conference was one that said, yeah, we can support this enough to get it to general conference. Right. And that's what we were clear with them about. This doesn't mean that the Michigan conference is voting for the protocol. They were just voting for the protocol to get a chance at general conference, right? Mm-hmm. It turns out, I think one other annual conference also um, did that. It was a central conference that um, voted to put it forward to, you know, just in case one said no, they needed to have, I think, a backup. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You never know. You never know. Um, so that was really significant for us in Michigan to be like a part of that piece of it. So let me ask then, we're three years since, Mm -hmm. what's the feeling about the protocol now? I think the protocol was meant for for the time and place that we were at in late 2019, early 2020. I think too much has changed. I think COVID really, really just... uh, changed everything. Like I, I I think anything anything big like that um, that came about at that time, I'm not sure is helpful in this particular moment. I don't know I, I don't know how like all Michigan United Methodists feel about that. I don't even know how the entire delegation feels about that. We've had a little bit of conversation about it since then, but um, not a ton. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard thing. I want to fast forward us to the North Central Jurisdiction Gathering, Jurisdictional Conference. This took place in November. Mm-hmm. And your co-chair being the Episcopal nominee, mm-hmm. um, I got to roll in to uh, Michigan Annual Conference in 2021? 2021 was that virtual one. And then in 2022, 2022, yes. You joined us in person. Yeah. And so I got to see Michigan affirm. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, who is now Bishop Bigham's size uh, candidacy to be Bishop. 
-hmm. And then it happened yeah. at jurisdictional. Mm -hmm. What was what was that like for you? Because she was your co-chair. Mm -hmm. what, mm -hmm. what was that like? Uh, the lead up and then, yeah. 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 Um, you know, it was, it was a real privilege to be a co-chair with Kanitha. And some of those conversations that the two of us just had preparing for delegation meetings, you know, just uh, all the things that we did. Um, every conversation I had with her was just like a gift. It was really wonderful. Um, all along, the Michigan delegation was very supportive of Kanitha in her candidacy. Um, we went through a process in 2019 <laughs> before, which is wild, before the first postponement even of like gathering people's names of people who wanted to run for bishop or whatever. And we interviewed and, um, you know, it was unanimous that we supported Kanitha and we believed in her and her gifts and her skills and her leadership um, and her calling. And so we were we were prepared for North Central jurisdiction, right? Because generally you take that first ballot, you kind of see where everybody shuffles out and then, you know, they go to their separate rooms so that people can talk to the, you know, candidates and blah, 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 blah. Well, and then Kanitha gets elected on the first ballot. These it first was... ballots, man, what's <laughs> happening? I know. <laughs> I know. I tell you, Michigan, we're awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it just like, it was just a wonderful moment. I, I, I don't even know what to say about it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't surprising. I mean, we, I, like we know Kanitha, we know how great she is. Like it was not surprising that she was elected at all. It was sort of surprising. It was right away on the first ballot. Mm -hmm. um, but what just like a, a joyful moment that was, it was, you know, she was sitting right near me. Like I was one of the first people to give her a hug. Like I, mm. I just, it, it was, it was really great. It was really great. We we're so proud of her. Um, uh, we missed her, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, and quite frankly, like at, in the early parts of jurisdictional conference, um, she really, she really kind of backed off just a little bit as co-chair, just Kind of knowing she was going to be busy right like whether she mm -hmm. got elected right away or not like when you run for bishop your jurisdictional conference looks very different and yeah. so she had already kind of started backing away a little bit in that leadership role and kind of allowing me to just kind of take over <laughs> for that week um which was fine it was it was totally fine it worked out well i mean we worked well together the whole time and so uh it it, it was great until you know, the very end of that moment. It was really wonderful. Mm. Yeah. You know, Laura, as we're getting ready for this next general conference and 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 a a future that is gonna our church already looks different mm -hmm. because of COVID. Um mm -hmm. but your experience in disaffiliations in Michigan, like we are mm -hmm. in, in Florida. Mm -hmm changes in the way the conference, you know, staffs itself, you know, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so you, you're experiencing change like we all are. And we're preparing for this next general conference, which isn't everything, right? Like, right. You know, change has happened and we haven't had a general conference since 20, right. definitely 20, 
2016 is not 2019, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so change is not you know, limited to what happens at General Conference, but it's an important place where things could change. What are right. you hoping happens at General Conference? Yeah, that's that's a really great question. <laughs> um, in this moment, so this this is my phrase right now. Um, so something I don't I don't think I answered your earlier question about what things are like in Michigan right now. Um, COVID, disaffiliations, uh, all the things. Um, Michigan is experiencing some budget reductions, right? And so we're going through some staff changes and some staff re reductions. And so anytime somebody asks me a question, I'm usually like, in this moment right now, <laughs> this is my answer. Because <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, things change so quickly. Like it's just, I, whatever I say today doesn't mean it's gonna be the same like six months from now. <laughs> like that's just really how I feel about it. So General Conference 2024, um, I have to say in this moment right now, I'm really having a hard time wrapping my head around it. I'm having a hard time thinking about um, the large stacks of legislation we still have from 2020. Hmm. I'm having a hard time thinking about what is going to come in addition to that. Right. And like how to sift through all that. Right. Like how I, I, I'm just I know I'll get there. I know I will get there. I always do. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> but mm -hmm. just like in this moment, I just I don't I don't even know how to answer what what do I hope for? Um, I, I hope that we can remove harmful language from the discipline like. Mm -hmm. If we have to go through another general conference with that in the discipline, I oh gosh, that just like makes my heart stop a little bit. You know, I mean, that is certainly something I hope for. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, if it'll happen. I'd like to think it will because of all the work that we did in 2019, right, to elect these delegations for 2020, um, now 2024. I'd like to think we can get there. And that we can make that happen. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Um, 2024 seems very um, it 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 seems very far away in terms of the fact that we've postponed it so many times, right? Like, <laughs> I, I just feel like anytime there was, um, okay, it's gonna be this date. And we were all like, okay, great. We're gonna do these things. And then they postponed it again. Like, okay, great. We're gonna do these things. And then when they postponed it again, it was like, no, it's not gonna happen. Like we're still in a COVID world. Like, you know, why are we preparing for this? <laughs> Chances are it's going to be postponed again. I think what have I what what I've most appreciated about being on a delegation through all of this is the depth of conversation we've all been able to have like across the country. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like we've had more time for our Zoom meetings, for our just kind of like 
not even most of them were not even looking for an answer for a particular thing. It was just like, what's happening in your area? What's happening in your area? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Right? Like they mm. just were, they were more conversational than I've ever experienced them to be, hmm. which I, I, I think has been a blessing eh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ish. Mm-hmm. in these postponements. I don't know. I actually think Laura, there are probably more people who will resonate with, I don't know, than anything else. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Um, mm-hmm. What's your hope for the United Methodist Church? <laughs> um, one of the reasons why I put so much into it um, is for that next generation. Um, I have an 11 year old who's growing up in the church, very similar to the way I grew up in the church. Um, and I, and I want that for him. I want that Wesleyan perspective. I want that grace. I want that, um, cultivation of question asking when, you don't understand. Like, I want that for him. I I don't want to talk about who's in and who's out anymore. Like, I, I just, I, I don't know why we're still having this conversation. It, it like, <laughs> everyone is in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to, mm-hmm. like, further this conversation, right? I want... I want people to see the United Methodist Church and say, and say like, oh yeah, that church, they show everyone, everyone, what the love of Christ looks and feels like. Ah, yeah. Like that, that's just what I, that's just what I want us to be. That's Mm -hmm. what I hope that we will be. That's what I hope um, people will see us as. I want our words to match our actions. Like right now in this moment, that's like, that's my hope. Yeah. I, uh, and I think frequently about, um, so the scripture I preached on at annual conference in 2019 was um, when Jesus invited Peter onto the water and uh, Peter got out of the boat and took those steps onto the water and got distracted and fell. And Jesus's words for Peter were have courage. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. and I, and I think about that more frequently than what I expected to um, following, following that sermon. Uh, mm. Diving into that scripture in that moment about having courage and having faith and believing in yourself because part of my perspective on that particular scripture was that I believe that Peter had faith in Jesus. I believe that Peter lost faith in himself mm-hmm. and lost his courage mm-hmm. in that moment. Agreed. Yeah. And like, I, that, that's like that. And that really resonates with me because I mean, my faith in Jesus has always been there. I know it has, even when 
I was in college and, you know, not always going to church every week and all those things. It's that it's that faith and courage in myself that I've struggled with the most Hmm. my whole life. And I think that's really like, I think that speaks a lot into the United Methodist Church, too. Laura, I um, I'm just grateful for this conversation. And again, I'm grateful for your ministry. Uh, we need the laity practically in the United Methodist Church. Um, but again, it's that voice of the folks in the pews, the voice mm-hmm. of those who were not just coming at these things from a theological perspective or even institutional mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. We're coming at them as everyday humans yeah. trying to work out That's right. how we maintain our faith in Jesus who has so much faith in us. Right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I just, I thank you for your witness. I thank you for your ministry and your work. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks, Derek. I, I just so appreciate you. Uh, Michigan loves you. They still oh. talk about when you were here the last two years, like, um, I'm just really grateful for for who you are and and what you're doing. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Derek. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bar of the Conference is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time. <laughs>